So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn in them to Revelation 18. We're almost home, right? We're almost home. We're almost to the end. We'll be there in a blink of an eye. As long as we interpret that phrase figuratively as we've interpreted much of the book of Revelation figuratively, we'll be there in the blink of an eye. We're in chapter 18 this morning. Chapter 18 is part of a larger section of the book of Revelation that is comprised of chapter 17, which we spent a couple of weeks in, all of chapter 18, up through the first five verses of chapter 19. This whole section is primarily concerned with introducing to us a figurative character that an angel introduces to John in this vision. Her name is Babylon. She's called the great prostitute. And she's also called the great city Babylon. Both of those are figurative characterizations of, of who Babylon the great is. When we were in chapter 17, we talked about who she is, that she's the world system around us. She is Augustine's city of man. The cultural system in which we live that exalts self and human achievement and rejects God and the Bible and is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As he figuratively refers to, uh, to her as the great prostitute, the angel is describing her aim to lure people away from God by appealing to their sinful and fleshly appetites for what the world has to offer. And referring to her as the great city, the angel is describing her strength, her influence, and her power. This is a reference to the historical city of Babylon that was infamous for its great power and influence, but also infamous for its pagan and idolatrous practices which its power and influence were used to serve. Centuries later, as John is given the revelation here, and as he pins these words down, the empire of Rome was the modern-day Babylon of that day. And for us today, centuries after that, modern-day Babylon could be any city. It could be all cities that cry out to us, even today, come to me, and I'll make your every dream come true. Only leave your Christ at home. So this section, comprised of chapter 17, all of chapter 18, and the first few verses of chapter 19, is presenting to us the concept of this, Babel, this, this character, Babylon the Great, and in particular, that she will fall. In the very first verse of chapter 17, the angel says to John, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. And so there was an illusion that there will be an end to her great prominence and prestige and power. But that was only hinted at in chapter 17. Most of chapter 17 was, was all about talking about her power and her influence and the power and influence of the beast upon whom she sits, which we indicated was the Antichrist. And so her destruction and fall is only briefly alluded to in chapter 17. But now, 
in chapter 18, the promise of her destruction is fulfilled. Chapter 18 is all about the fall of Babylon the Great. The first eight verses, which we'll focus on this morning, contains the announcement of her destruction and an all-important call to the church of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And then the remainder of chapter 18 and the first few verses of the following chapter, chapter 19, which we'll cover, Lord willing, next week, will be about primarily the response to this announcement of her fall. The response of the world and how they lament that fall and the response of the bride of Christ as they rejoice in her fall. So This morning, let's focus on these first eight verses of chapter 18 as Another angel shows up to John and announces the destruction and calls the church to come out of her. This is God's word, church. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of seeing the gospel symbolically proclaimed to us in the picture of the ordinance of baptism. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to gather and worship you as your people, to magnify your name and glorify who you are sing of your praises and now father we turn to your word we thank you for this book and father we are desperate for you to speak to us father we don't simply ask that we would be more knowledgeable about what it says and what it means but father we ask for nothing less that you would conform us to the image of christ as a result of what we find here as people who have come to you in faith, and as the people of God, the church, who rely on you to conform us to your image. We pray that your gospel would ring clear through even this passage, Lord, 
and that you would grant faith to those who are far from you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these eight verses can be broken up into a very simple outline that uh, I'm going to use as a guide as we make our way through this passage. First, in verses 1 through 3, we find this announcement from the angel of Babylon's destruction. And then verse 4, which is where we're going to spend the vast bulk of our time this morning, we find the command to leave her, the command to come out of her. It is given to the church. And then lastly, we will close with the judgment of Babylon, or more, probably more appropriately, the justification of the judgment of Babylon, why she deserves this judgment. So let's look first at this announcement. This section of the vision begins, we're told, with another angel coming down out of heaven. So this is another angel other than the one that showed up to John in chapter 17 that first gave the vision of Babylon the Great. This is another one that's coming down out of heaven. A couple of things that we ought to note about this. First, we see that this is a vision from the perspective of earth. In chapter 17, John is in heaven in this vision, and he's given the vision of Babylon the great prostitute. But here, he sees an angel descending from heaven. So now, John is on earth seeing this vision unfold in front of him. But secondly, we're told that this angel has great authority. Verse 1 says, He was coming down out of heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. So not that the other angel in chapter 17 didn't have authority, but for some reason, this angel is identified as having great authority, mega authority, which serves to impress upon us the importance of what he has to say. And and the emphasis on the importance of what he has to say, the highlight on that is driven home even more by the fact that he says the earth was made bright with his glory. Literally, the earth was made bright with the glory of himself. That has led many commentators to suggest that this isn't just any angel, that this is, in fact, a Christophany. This is a vision of the resurrected Christ who appears in the form of an angel here. We don't know that for sure, but that certainly sounds as if that could make sense. It's certainly something different about this angel and certainly something different about his message. What does he say? Verse 2, he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And so he announces the destruction of Babylon. Now, in the setting of this vision that the angel is giving to John here, this is prophetic language. In the unveiling of the revelation, the end time world system that Babylon represents has not yet fallen. But this angel, who might be Christ himself, prophesies of her destruction emphatically. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This destruction that this prophesies of is going to take place when we get to chapter 19 and Jesus comes back. It was alluded to, as we said, briefly in chapter 17, but in the unveiling of the vision, it hasn't happened yet. This is prophecy. But having divine wisdom of what's going to happen to Babylon, 
this angel announces what she will look like after her destruction. She will be fallen. And not just fallen, but fallen, fallen. Really fallen. Completely and utterly fallen. Look as the angel continues to paint the picture of how much she is fallen. Verse 2 continues, she has become a dwelling place for demons. A haunt for every unclean spirit, every unclean bird, and every unclean and detestable beast. In other words, complete and utter desolation. This echoes the, the very real and historical destruction of the very real and historical city of Babylon in 539 B.C. Isaiah prophesies of Babylon's fall in Isaiah 40, excuse me, Isaiah 21, verse 9. He says the same thing. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. So these prophecies that the prophets gave here and elsewhere of the impending fall and destruction of the city of Babylon, the historical city of Babylon, would have been extraordinarily good news to the Israelites who were in exile in Babylon at that time. Would have been great news to them. And this reference to the fall of Babylon in John's day, where the Babylon of his day was Rome, would have also been very good news to the early church in the first century. And so consequently, this reminder to us today that the great Babylon of our day, the world system around us, the, the, the pagan, secular, godless world around us that exalts self and human achievement and rejects God and rejects the Bible, the news that she will be destroyed completely and thoroughly ought to be really good news to the church of Jesus Christ today. Now, we'll dissect the response to the fall of Babylon next week when we see in the remainder of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 the lamentation of the world who puts their lot in with the world and conversely the rejoicing of the church who puts their lot in with Jesus. So we'll see that next week, but perhaps... This morning, we just ought to do a little bit of a heart check here. When we read about the utter desolation of the world system, the secular culture in which we live, that it will be utterly destroyed, that its power and prominence and prestige will be ripped from her, when we read about this, do we lament or do we rejoice? Have we so loved the world and what it has to offer us that when those things are brought to ruin, we will lament our loss of them? Or have we so pursued Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness that when we see the godless world system around us brought to ruin one day, we rejoice because it will mean that Christ has won 
and justice has been served. What is our heart in this? I, I think that part of why there is such an emphasis here on the destruction of Babylon, that it is devoted, that, that two and a half chapters of Revelation are devoted to the destruction of Babylon. And that it's highlighted to such a degree that, that this, we're, we're given this message by an angel with great authority. And that the importance of the message is highlighted by the fact that, that the, the whole earth shines with the glory of this angel. Why, why is that the case? I think part of why this is given such emphasis here is because God wants to pull our hearts away from the world and draw our affections back to Him. And so the angel, who, who again might be Christ, calls out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then the angel lists Babylon's crimes in verse 3. Why will she be so utterly destroyed? We're given her indictment here in verse 3. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. In other words, her complete and utter destruction will be deserved because of who she is and what she has done in luring people away from God by appealing to their sinful appetites, their fleshly desires for power, wealth, and luxury. The allusion here to sexual immorality is not meant to be exclusive only of sexual sins, but of any appetite for which we seek satisfaction apart from God and His provision. Whether it is seeking money and things and material possessions apart from God, or whether it's emotional or physical comfort, fulfillment of any kind apart from God, all of this, I think, would fall under the auspices of drinking from the passion of the wine of her sexual immorality. And note who this impacts. The kings and the merchants, those who in the remainder of chapter 18 will utterly lament her fall. That now the source that they have counted on for all these things is gone. We'll see that next week. But the angel points here to the fact that she deserves this, her fall is well earned because of what she's done. This is the announcement of her, of her fall. And with it, this angel, whether it's Christ or another powerful angel, seems as if he yields to another voice that comes down from heaven in verse 4. We've seen John talk to us about a voice from heaven several times in the book of Revelation. Sometimes it is the voice of an angel that's speaking on behalf of God. Sometimes it's God himself speaking from heaven. Sometimes we're left to wonder to whom the voice belongs. We don't know for sure who is speaking here in verse 4, but whoever it is, he speaks on behalf of God. Personally, I think this is the voice of God. 
speaking from heaven here. What does he say? Verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So first we have the announcement of Babylon's destruction. Now we have the command to come out of her, to leave Babylon. I believe this to be the very heart, the very core message of chapter 18. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Note first that this is a a command that is given to God's people. He says, come out of her, my people. This is a call to the elect. Those chosen by God to be His chosen people. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ. And this reminds us of the Old Testament prophets' call, their calls to the Israelites in exile in Babylon to come out of Babylon and return to Jerusalem. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 48, verse 20, Go out from Babylon... Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Jeremiah 51, verse 45, Jeremiah prophesies, Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Those prophetic calls and and. There's lots of them throughout the Old Testament in the, during the time of the exile as it nears the end were calls from God to his people Israel to come out of the Babylonian exile in the proper time to leave the idolatry of Babylon, to leave the syncretism of Babylon, to leave their godless culture and return to Jerusalem. And there's a connection here between that historical call to historical Israel in historical Babylon. There's a connection between that call and the, and the call that John hear, hears here in this vision. So what we have in chapter 18 verse 4 here is this eschatological call to the church to come out of Babylon the great. To leave the the great city Babylon, to to leave her prideful arrogance, to leave her sensuous luxury and self-glorification and come to another city, a city coming down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And there was a warning that went along with this call to come out of Babylon. Come out of her, why? Verse 4 continues, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plague. So it was a call to come out of Babylon, lest you share and, and, and emulate her sins and look like her, and thus share in the judgments she will receive as a result of that. But in the context of John's day, that's the eschatological call, eschatological call in the vision. But, but in the context of John's day in the first century, To his audience, this call to to come out of Babylon would have been for them a call to the saints of the first century church 
not to physically remove themselves from the Roman culture in which they lived, but rather a call to separate themselves morally, ethically, spiritually from that Roman culture, to be the church while they were in that godless culture. This was a call to them for them to be holy. It was a call to holiness, a call to be different from the world around them, both the Jewish world and the Roman world. It was a call for the church to to leave those worlds, not, not in a geographic sense, but in a spiritual sense. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and share in her plagues. So church, in the very same way, This is a call to us today. This is a command to us, the people of God, the church of God. In this time and in this place to come out of Babylon. Church, we are a people in exile. This is not our home. We often are lured into thinking that it is. Because this is all we see with our eyes. This is all we know experientially. We know of a kingdom to come. We know of the kingdom of heaven. It's written for us in the scriptures, but we don't see it with our eyes, and so we must use eyes of faith to accept their reality. But the world around us, we see with our physical eyes. It it doesn't take faith to behold the world around us, and so it's very subtle, but it's very real that we can begin to live as if this is our home but it's not. We are citizens of another land, we who know Christ by faith. And this life and this world are just a dress rehearsal for what comes next. But not only are we tempted to think that this is our home, but we're also tempted to find ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment, And lasting joy in the things that this world has to offer us. It really is a battle every single day because we have to live here. This is the land that God has us in. This is the land of exile that we're in. He has us here for a reason. And so while we're in this land of exile, we are to live, work, and play. And there's nothing wrong with that. We are to do that because this is where he has us. But there's a very big difference between living in the world and looking like the world. There's a very fine line between living in the world and loving the world. There's a fine line between looking like an exile who is in a foreign land and looking like an indigenous native who belongs to that land. And the danger is, if we're not careful, we'll begin to look like the world around us. Both us, our family, and our church. And so this voice from heaven calls out to us, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. There really are two voices calling to us, right? 
There's a voice of Babylon the Great who calls out to us, come to me and I'll give you everything you desire. And on the other hand, there is this loud voice from heaven crying out to us, come out of her, my people. Which voice will we heed? The call to come out of Babylon is a call to each and every person in this room. And I think we can discern this call in a couple of very important ways. First, there is the call to be saved. There is the call to salvation. The call of God here in Revelation 18.4 to come out of Babylon is a call that is made to the elect. It is made to my people. Those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world to be his own. Come out of her, my people. But, but in the setting of this eschatological vision, when this takes place, for some of the elect in that setting who have... This is a call to them to come out of Babylon. And this call made to them will be the final call to salvation. A calling to sinners to be rescued from what they deserve. And I believe this will be the last of God's call to salvation. And many will come to faith in Jesus Christ at this point. But I also think that for John in his day, that this was a call to lost sinners of his time. And consequently, I believe that this is also a call to lost sinners today, this morning, in this very room, to come to Christ. Perhaps you're here and you're just checking out Christianity. Maybe someone invited you, maybe you came on your own. Friend, maybe, maybe you're here and you're just you're giving Christianity one final chance before you just move along and do your own thing. Listen to me. Perhaps the God of the universe has you here this morning so that you would hear this call. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Perhaps God has you right where he wants you where you will hear of the hopeless condition that you are in because of your sin and rebellion against God. And that you will hear that there is nothing you can do to change that. That you deserve judgment because you have done things your own way instead of God's. But he has you here also to hear the good news that God's perfect gift to lost sinners like us is His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived for us and died on the cross in our place. For us who otherwise would have no way back to God, no way of making ourselves acceptable to God. And if that describes you, then perhaps God has you here this morning so that you would hear Him say, come out of her, son. Come out of her, daughter. Come to me through faith in my son, Jesus Christ. Trust in him alone to rescue you. If God is calling you to be saved by grace through faith this morning, 
then I beg of you, don't let this opportunity by. Trust in Christ alone. But secondly, this is a call for the church and the saints to be set apart from the world. The word holy, this is a call to holiness, and and the word holy means to be set apart. Rather than looking like the world, we're to be set apart, we're to, to look different, and we're to be different. Parenthetically, looking and being different is kind of a cultural value almost in our culture today. In an individualistic way, we value being different. Our culture values being your own person and bucking the norms and bucking the cultural trends. You know, just being different for the sake of being different. That is not what this call is about. Rather, this is a call for us to be different and set apart from the godless, self-exalting, and self-serving world around us. To be godly in a godless world. That's the kind of different we are to be. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, just reflectively ask yourself, in what way do you look like the world still? In what ways have you been lured to the siren song of what the world has to offer? The same John who wrote Revelation wrote in his first epistle, as he was warning his audience about the soon coming end, he writes in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what does the world offer you and I? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the things that appeal to us, that that, that appeal to our flesh and the desires that reside in us. And the great Babylon of our day holds them out and offers them to us. Day after day, moment after moment. Whether they come in the form of money or power or a drive to succeed, an achievement, or whether it's a nicer house, a nicer car, or whether it's sexual fulfillment of any kind outside of marriage. The list of possibilities is endless. These things appeal to our desires and our our, our flesh wants them And Babylon holds them out to us. You can have them. Just leave Christ. And we begin to flirt with the world. And we begin to partake of what the world offers. And before we know it, we're not just in the world, but we're of it. 
And our Father calls out to us, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Where does this hit home for you? Where have you grown to love the world more than Christ? What trinkets from the world have become idols for you? Such that when you hear him call out for you, come out of her, my son, come out of her, my daughter, you know exactly what he's talking about. What is it for you? Whatever it is, when the Holy Spirit reveals the answer to that question for you, what is it that we're to do with that? Are we willing to confess our idolatry? Are we willing to confess the ways in which we have begun to emulate the people of the world more than the people of the kingdom? John also wrote in his first epistle in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession and repentance really are the appropriate response when the Lord makes us aware of ways in which we've grown to love the world too much to the point where we're emulating it rather than the kingdom to which we really belong. Confession means simply agreeing with God about our sin, and repentance means leaving it behind. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Now, to be set apart from the world, to obey this command to come out of her, does not mean that we physically remove ourselves from the world around us. This is our land of exile. Commentator Scott Duvall reminds us, leaving the city is a metaphor for spiritual transformation, not geographic relocation. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17 on the night in which he was arrested and led away to trial and subsequently crucified. The night before, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying for his disciples, which means you and I who have professed faith in Christ. He was speaking to the Father on our behalf, and he says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Father, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify means make them holy. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So in obeying the call, the command to come out of Babylon, we're not to remove ourselves physically from the world around us. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world around us in hopes of insulating ourselves from the evil that's out there. This is a very natural and understandable reaction to an evil world. But it's an unbiblical one. And it is anti-Great Commission. Because 
That's the mission field. We have been sent to this world to offer to those who are in the world the only thing that can bring lasting contentment, lasting satisfaction and delight, which is reconciliation with the God of the universe through faith in Jesus Christ. So let us not isolate ourselves from the world, but seek to be a set-apart people who are in the world but not of it. And while we're in the world, we're holding out the gospel to the world around us. A couple more quick points about this call to come out of Babylon before we move on. First, on the surface, this call to come out of Babylon, this call to holiness, might seem on the surface to undermine the doctrine of perseverance of saints. The doctrine of the perseverance of saints, quite simply, is once saved, always saved. Once someone genuinely comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God will ensure that they are kept in the faith to the very end. They will persevere to the very end. So if that's true, and it is, we affirm the perseverance of the saints. And if that's true, then why the warning in the second half of verse 4? The voice from heaven calls out, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Her plagues being the judgments she deserves and, and that which will be poured out on her because of her sins. Why the warning of judgment if we're definitely going to persevere to the end? Why the warning of judgment here if we're assured that we will escape the final judgment because of Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection and our faith in Him as our only hope? Why the warning? Well, the answer is because God uses these warnings as a means of ensuring that we will persevere to the end. The, these warnings of judgment that are given to the church here and several other places in Scripture are one of the means that God uses to keep us in the faith. And so, by God's grace, perhaps some are here this morning in this very room who will hear this warning come out of her. Come out of her lest you share in her sins and share in her plagues and her judgments. And will heed this warning. And so, by God's grace, be kept in the faith. Heed the warning, Christian. Come out of her. The last point on this is that when we begin to consider how we must come out of Babylon, we would do well to remember that in a very real sense, Babylon is not just all around us. Babylon is in us. The moment that we think we can escape the pull of sin simply by withdrawing from the world is the moment we begin to deny the very reality of indwelling sin. We can't escape from sin in this life because sin is in us. And so we're reminded here again of the amazing grace and mercy of God 
that he would send his son to put on flesh and to live as one of us and to die in our place so that who might be rescued? Perfect people? No. Good people? No. Sinners. Dirty, rotten, foul sinners like us. As Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I just, I want us to read these last four verses of this section beginning in verse 5. And I want us to think about how these things are true of us. There's a tendency when we talk in church about pursuing holiness that it's all about us avoiding the bad and sinful stuff that's out there. And that is true. We do need to avoid that. We need to come out of Babylon. But let us not forget that there is sin that resides in our own hearts. And in a very real sense, Babylon is in us. These closing verses are, are the angel's justification for the judgment of Babylon the Great. Babylon's indictment was read by the first angel in verses 1 through 3. Now this second angel, this voice from heaven, pronounces the justification of her indictment. But as we hear in these verses how Babylon the Great deserves what is coming to her, let us marvel at the grace and mercy of God that we who are equally guilty and culpable do not get what we deserve. Look with me beginning in verse 5. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Church, our sins are heaped as high as heaven. But in Christ, God mercifully remembers them no more. Hebrews 8.12, God remembers our sins no more. Verse 6, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. We too deserve a double portion of God's wrath in our cup. But by faith in Christ alone, for those who have come to faith in Jesus, Jesus drinks that cup for us. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us in our place. Verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, is that not us? We seek to glorify ourselves. We, in 21st century suburban America, we love our comfort. We love our luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. We see her pride. We, we see her, her arrogance that she's an untouchable. That she'll never have to answer for her sins. Church, we too live in this way, in the pridefulness of our own hearts, living as if we'll never have to give an answer for our sins. For this reason, verse 8, her plagues will come in a single day. What are they? Death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire, 
For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. In other words, Babylon the Great will get what she deserves. Her punishment will fit her crime. And so will those whose sins are laid bare before the Father without an advocate who have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. But for those who have trusted in Christ alone as our only hope to escape the, the judgment that we deserve as well, Jesus has taken our place. He bled, he died, he rose again. And we who know him by faith will one day be reunited with him in glory. Let's pray. As we enter into a time of prayer, if you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, the call to you from heaven this morning is come out of Babylon and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in his life and his substitutionary death and his resurrection from the grave as your only and sufficient hope for rescue from what you deserve. And if you do know Christ by faith, then the call to you this morning to come out of her is a call to holiness. Friend, you belong to the Lord, so be set apart in your life. Be different from the world so that your life will bring Him glory. Father, we thank You so much for the reminder in this passage that the world around us that seems to be progressing forward so magnificently, so filled with human achievement and accomplishment that holds out to us the things which our flesh desires so greatly will one day come to utter and complete ruin. It is said to us, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It is a sure thing. This world will be destroyed. Father, remind us of that when we are lured to love her so much and build our lives around the things which she offers to us. And Father, may we heed the warning from your scriptures this morning to come out of her, not to isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves, not to remove ourselves physically, but to be holy as you are holy, to be different. Father, I pray that you would move among us this morning those places where you've identified where we look more like the world than the kingdom. I pray that you would lead us to a place of confession and repentance. Draw us back to you. Father, as we fight against sin, as we fight against the allurements of this world, would you remind us that by your grace we don't fight this fight alone. We fight with the presence of the Holy Spirit in us who gives us the strength to fight this fight of holiness. God, would you make us holy so that for your namesake, you would be glorified. We ask this for ourselves, and we ask this for our church, and we ask this for your own glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.